People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, welcome to People's Poetry Podcast. This is episode four of series seven. Thank you for being here. This is the poetry and spoken word podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, a teacher and poet myself, as I wander the UK to chat to a range of poets and explore the UK's love affair with poetry. Now, this podcast is not just for those who are already into poetry. Our mission, my mission, is to show you that there is poetry for all walks of life and there is something out there written for you. Series 7 sees the continuation of our fantastic open mic segment, It wouldn't be possible without all of the submissions that were sent in. So thank you to each and every one of you that submitted something. Today's piece comes from Barry Hollow and it is entitled Cathartic Lullaby. As I resist, I am lifted from the undercurrent. I've drifted down too long. In the slow meandering rivers, in the highlands of these bleak islands, we read, waters give me shivers, a reminder of grey days that pass without accented notes. Like perpetual dreary dusk of September, in reaches where hyperlapsed dancing borealis lights have abandoned us for a time. Freeze frame with no sense of tides which push into distant tributaries will ever pass to rescue me and sweep me out to sea or channels carved into lands which were abandoned too soon. I remember the bright surge of summer streams high on Arran hills by stark contrast. Deep plunge pools shock senses as you dive down for light, relief from torrid heat and find those waters still. I sing shanties to calm waves Ballast keeps me righted. These songs of sadness are cleansed in the wash beneath my bow. Our featured poet this episode is the wonderful Stephanie Powell. Stephanie actually follows the podcast on Instagram. And when she first got in touch, I knew her as the Attic Poet. And I was intrigued instantly. It's a wonderful creative space that she's got there to create some of these pieces that feature in her brand new collection, Bone, out on Harris Press. We sat down in Southbank, in glorious Southbank, in the real world, post-Freedom Day, to speak about that collection, Bone, on Harris Press. We spoke about finding your poetic voice, moving abroad, getting published, as well as celebrating the everyday. This episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Powell, who's got a brand new collection called Bone Out via Hallas Press. Hello, thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you for having me. You originally contacted me in January. I I looked today, a long time ago now, it feels like. It feels like a lifetime ago. (laughs) But um, yeah, I absolutely love it when uh, people get in touch. I make a big deal out of it on the podcast. Uh, It's how I find like a lot of my new poets. And I think originally you got in contact through like the, the submissions call out that we do for open mic. And I actually had a, a read of Bone in its like early form back then, didn't I? But yeah, I love that when it happens. So thank you for reaching out. You are also the first Australian poet 
wow. that we've had on the podcast. So there you go, you've got that accolade. What a dubious honour. That's <laughs> no, good, it's good. I'm trying to go international, so there we go. Um, so you grew up in Melbourne? I did, yeah. Grew up in Melbourne. Most of my family is still there. I, I lived in Sydney for a couple of years and um, moved to London 2013. So, yeah, eight years ago. I, I kind of, it's weird to think where that time has gone. Yeah. But it's also hard to imagine not living in, in London. It's, I guess it's a city that kind of gets into your into your bones. Into your bones, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no pun go. intended. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, what inspired the move? Because that is a long way. I mean, it's, I, I always I, I love the idea of like just going to New York or Australia from here, but I don't know. I've, I've, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat, I think, really. Um, I always. I mean, I love Australia. I love Australia. The weather's great, yeah. and and everything. And, and that's the question people most often ask me when they hear that I moved <laughs> over, like I voluntarily moved over from yeah. Australia to here. Um, but I think for me, I always felt that I just wanted to see more of the world. Australia is a great place, but it can it can feel a little bit small, and it, it, it is a little bit it's far away. Mm. You know, it's about eight hours if you want to hop onto on a plane to Southeast Asia, and um, I just felt like for myself, I wanted something more, and I wanted some travel, and I was just I was. 24 almost 25 yeah and just at that time of my life where I could I was living in Sydney so I packed all my stuff into the back of this the, this car my parents gave me to drive around which was a bit beaten up by that time drove it down the Hume Highway to Melbourne got rid of all my stuff had two suitcases and yeah got on that a plane it. and that's yeah. it here I here hey, I am eight years later. I'm envious. I'm envious. I'm, I'm, yeah, I admire people that can just just do that. Cause I, like I said, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat. I can go I can go away for. I think it's the idea of coming back somewhere. I could go, I don't know, backpacking for a couple of months if I knew I was coming back. I don't know why. I've just got this draw to London. I think you have to like kind of accept that the first couple of months are going to be really hard, yeah. and that it's going to take. You know, you have to get a job and find friends and kind of you know London's an expensive city so <laughs> yeah I think but I think that's anywhere where you move to you just yeah the first couple of months aren't going to be the best but if you do stick it out it, it can be really it comes yeah. good it, it comes can, good comes and then good. you end up on the people's poetry podcast so there you go. <laughs> let's talk poetry when um when was the first time you were aware of poetry so not necessarily the first time you wrote poetry can you pinpoint the moment or the poem uh, the first time, yeah, you were aware of poetry. It's weird because I feel like, in a lot of ways, I came to poetry late. Mm -hmm. um, I came from a household where both parents were quite bookish, right. so quite lucky in that way. We always had a massive bookcase in the living room full of books, and my mum had studied Russian at university. Um, so cool. we had, yeah, I think it was at that time where, in the 70s, where the communists still might win so I think she was hedging her bets <laughs> Fair. but we had yeah Chekhov and Volkogov and we had so much stuff so from a young age I always read I remember trying to um, read T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland quite young and mm. not quite grasping it yeah and um, it wasn't until much later even I would say towards when I was living in London that I really started getting into getting more into poetry. I think it was a Liz Lockyer 
um, book, The Scottish Poet. I, um, there's a great bookshop in Edinburgh called um, The Comfy Armchair or something like that. And I remember I was up there for Fringe Festival many, many years ago and um, they have a very um, kind of small poetry collection in the corner. So I remember picking up one of her collection and reading that. And it kind of, I just love the the imagery that she created and how things, she was saying things, but the words were kind of abstract and alluding to what she meant rather than sort of being uh, plain on paper or in prose. And then in yeah, 2015, I went um, for a holiday in the States and I got the Greyhound bus from LA to Portland in um, Oregon. Uh-huh. And I came back and turned those experiences into some very short um, prosy poems right. that I turned into like a, a little zine with some friends. And then after that, really started to, to get more into poet, poetry. Um, Sinead Morrissey was one of my early favorites. Um, I mean, I love Seamus Heaney. Yeah. I love Jackie Kay. I love those, uh, Dave Lorden, the Irish poet. Yeah, I love yeah. those poets who can write with such um, a voice, especially, of, you know, that reflects where they're from yeah. as well, which is which is cool. And, uh, you know, obviously um, it's something that I don't, I don't think I've pulled off quite yet, but I'd love to kind of look more at, you know, maybe writing or trying to write things more or throwing a few more Australianisms into I was gonna say, my uh, work, yeah. From reading Bone, you've definitely you've definitely got a poetic voice, but I wouldn't say it necessarily reflects your roots like exactly, Australia. Yeah. It reflects like a almost a, a memory or a moment or a place, but uh, yeah. not necessarily your dialect. So I like Seamus Heaney for example, as you said. Exactly, yeah. which I think is something in the future, yeah, I yeah. would like to work on because I really admire poets who can bring that that such strong sense of uh, voice of where they're from into their work. Yeah. See, with me, if I'm ever trying to do that, I just drop like a Cockney rhyming slang word yeah. in and hope that does the job. But that's probably lazy writing. I think it's all about timing <laughs> and placement, isn't it? You yeah. know what? You, and I think I, I like some of the poems which will be written kind of as a you know, it's sort of in a normal words, and then they'll drop a phrase into it, and yeah. I think that that really that really works because it just brings your attention. It brings you into the, that place, their accent. I like quite the idea sharply. of them having to research what that means <laughs> as well. <laughs> that's always, uh, yeah, that's always made me think this is a good thing to do. So you were transitioning to writing yourself. Then was it sounds like a mixture of being a fan and reading stuff, and then experiences like the, you went traveling and so yeah I feel like I kind of did it backwards and and I have been trying to in like the recent years um, do more work workshops and be part of more writing groups mm-hmm. um, and just get that background in poetry and the yeah. theory behind poetry that I didn't really have when they start you know when when I started um, yeah, sure. And I don't think everyone necessarily, you know, I don't think you necessarily, you don't have to have training in that way to be a poet. I just think it's it's an interesting thing, you know, especially uh, learning about sonnets and write, having to craft something with that, with a restriction, yeah. I think in a way, even if you don't, and even if you break it 
in the end anyway and you rewrite the poem it just makes you think more deeply about the rhythm of the words yeah I think it's quite hard I mean for, for myself I don't know about you but you said about trying to immerse yourself in workshops and stuff I think when you come from or you come to poetry sorry from uh, you know a very individual place and you think right I am going to start writing poetry as opposed to those people who get into poetry because they went to a workshop randomly it's kind of hard to force yourself to get into these things sometimes isn't it yeah it is and at, at the very start um, I did a great workshop with a, a poet called Ella Frears yes um, yeah uh, is it Shine Darling her, yeah yeah amazing her collection. collection it yeah. was nominated for a T.S. Eliot award earlier in yeah. earlier in the year um, she's brilliant and a brilliant educator as well but it was and it was also all on zoom mm. so we're sort of sitting um, on our laptops every Monday night and just just that kind of action of having to read my poem and then and then have everyone weigh in on it and, yeah yeah I mean that's terrifying but I would have to say even the poems that got the kind of harshest feedback turned out to be the best better ones yeah, in the yeah. end but it's just throwing yourself into that I think hard. once you've done it a few times it's okay because yeah. I, I remember yeah the first time someone said get rid of this whole stanza you're like oh what that whole stanza oh fine but then yeah they always turn out well don't they well they say kill, kill your darlings yeah. is the, yeah, is yeah, the yeah. phrase <laughs> brutal so talk to me about the attic because obviously um, on Instagram you are at the attic poet and you've got this what looks like quite a nice creative space the attic is that yeah. where I mean how long has that been a thing is that where everything that you write is sort of produced in this attic Largely, in the last um, year to 18 months, it, it has. Yeah. Um, I was, before the pandemic happened, I was living in Kenya for work, and we got rushed back um, just before London went into lockdown. I think it was about the 20th of March, 2020, and I moved in with my then boyfriend at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I, I turned up at his door on a Saturday morning with my bags, and <laughs> Hiya. Hiya. <laughs> I haven't left since. But luckily, he, because he was—he's been working from home as well. Um, he had this attic space, and it was dusty and full of dead birds, and you know, we found all sorts of weird trinkets and treasures and stuff like that from everything that had being put up there from prior owners so we spent like an Easter weekend cleaning it out and and um, yeah getting it nice and then since then I've really kind of it's great it's great having that little space that's yeah. that's my own and is wholly curated by myself especially you know in a house that um, I, I really love living there but obviously you know I kind of crushed the party in a way yeah um, and it's it would be a bit rude of me to start, you know, and I have quite a, I guess, a distinct style. So if I started throwing up sort of postcards and pictures and and robes and stuff like that around, I think I get into trouble. But having the attic is just my own little world. It must have been nice during lockdown as well, because I suppose you could almost detach yourself from the house going up into an attic. And... Yeah, I think it was good for our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> um, not having to be in the same space i mean in one way really really lucky because i know a lot of people other people didn't have that sort of ability to just take themselves away yeah. and have that space and then i've got uh, you know uh, i kind of come up and down this ladder into the attic <laughs> so i kind of 
come down for go up after breakfast come down for lunch up again and then <laughs> down for dinner so amazing it's been good and am i right in thinking there's a typewriter involved because I, I love a typewriter and when uh, when you kindly sent me the book you, you had a little typewriter uh, typewritten sorry message in there do, do you do all your poetry on a typewriter initially or I usually will write my poems out by hand mm. and then I will put them in the laptop and then I'll put them from the laptop into the typewriter and then I'll make corrections on on the typewritten page and then put them back on the laptop. <laughs> so there'll be a load of people because I get this all the time whenever I talk about typewriters on a podcast I get messages going why'd you bother with a typewriter? So from one typewriter enthusiast to another what why is it that you you use that typewriter as part of your process because you really have to think about what you're writing yeah you know it's um, especially for you know my job general life um, I think we're so used to working at keyboards having autocorrect yeah um, deleting things all that sort of stuff typewriter you have to read you have to concentrate and I for I lack great concentration as it is and so sitting in front of that typewriter and typing out those poems it makes every every time you strike the, the, the keypad or the keyboard yeah, yeah, yeah. you really have to think about you have to think about it that's which, it for yeah. me it's the autocorrect part of it just I feel like it keeps my brain sharp yeah it really did and my um you know I might grew up with my grandpa having a typewriter and uh, it's something I can remember hearing watching TV and him like clattering away yeah, yeah, yeah. in the spare room, you know, writing letters to people. So I really love the sound of it. And yeah, it's, it's a good nostalgic, memory. isn't it? Yeah. It definitely is, yeah. So doing a little bit of digging, as I always do when I get guests on the, on the podcast, uh, you seem to have a lot of poems in magazines, which is amazing to see. And I get asked, again, I get lots of messages asking, uh, you know, how, how do I get my poetry into magazines, things like that. And I'm not the one to answer that because it hasn't happened to me uh, yet. But for yourself, if you, what, what would be, your, say, your top tip for anyone wanting to get their poetry into magazines? Um, for me, what really helped was organisation. Mm -hmm. I think um, there are, I mean, it's great. There are so many great small presses, bigger magazines, journals, online zines out there. Yeah. I think that when you start off, it can be a bit overwhelming and you just start like firing poems out left, right and centre and you lose track of stuff. And what really helped me was getting my, the poems I had in my sort of current file and putting them on an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. And, you know, just having a column saying I'd sent this out or even a column to a color system saying this one's ready to go this was it needs more work just having that organization just stopped it being such a scattergun process and I also think just letting go of and I think everyone would say say this letting go of rejection you know the, the feeling yeah. of hurt by rejection because it, it's going to happen and you know if I have a poem sent back or it doesn't get accepted I just you know, I take it out of the said poems column and I move it back into the available yeah, poems yeah. column and you just keep, have Crack to keep on. going. Yeah. That is something I've, I've only started recently doing an Excel spreadsheet, but I do think it, it has helped know where my poetry's gone and yeah, keep and it on top of it. Also try not to send stuff out too early, you know. Um, 
I think you have to you have to you have to write a poem down you have to do a few edits and then you have to leave it for a little while yeah. and come back to it because you're going to have experiences between those two points that might make the you know make, might shape the poem in a, in a better weirder way yeah for sure let's talk about bone because it is uh, it's a great collection it's one of the best looking collections I've seen aesthetically for a while as well I think it looks really like minimal uh, yeah. the black and white and the black and white photographs um, Halas Press if anyone hasn't read it or is thinking about reading it could you describe your collection because it's sort of set in six parts or movements isn't it yeah it is a collection that I mean I wouldn't say it's a a lockdown experience collection or anything though there are definitely moments where I think I'm examining the everyday and and kind of trying to zoom in on minute things yeah um, there's a lot of memory in there which I um, I think it really kind of those poems were written mainly during the kind of the late end of last year after we'd kind of come in and out of lockdowns a bit and I'd been on furlough and um, I think it was one of the first times I'd kind of um, you know, I'm not a person to get homesick for home or anything, but I think it was one of the first times I'd really started to go through uh, memories of Australia yeah. and childhood. And, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Melbourne, which is um, as unglamorous and, uh, as it sounds, <laughs> even though it was, it was a great place to, to grow up. But that kind of came back to me. So... There are, yeah, as you said, there, there are the, the poems are divided into different sections, and and tender really looks at memory and girlhood and the body, um, but then I've tried to look at um, you know th things that happen in the everyday in a in a quite minute way in um, the everyday in the mundane and the other sections of the, of the book. So I guess, yeah, it's an exploration of, I don't know, I guess it's a, like, it's a, it's a, it's a pause in yeah. some way and it's a explore, exploration of everything that has made up your life so far and your current life when you have just a moment to sit and breathe yeah. and, and think about it. I really enjoyed the the parts of it that, that, as you said, almost sort of bring the mundane to life. Um, and there's there's some beautiful poems about relationships in there, and you you almost celebrate you celebrate like what seems like a mundane relationship, but actually it's anything but that because it's it's a really nice relationship. Um, yeah. I can't remember the name of the poem; it will come to me in a minute. But there there's a lot about swimming pools in there as well. And I used to go swimming all the time, mm. and I've never read so much poetry about because it is like this own little world when you go swimming and I used to go regularly in the morning and you see the same people and you have the experience of going and change room and that I'm, I'm guessing swimming pools and swimming is a big part of, of your your life then or was perhaps when I was growing up definitely yeah you know you don't grow up in somewhere like Australia and, and not go swimming at the beach or yeah. the public swimming pool during the during school or the school holidays I mean I always love that feeling of being under what you would hear that sort of yeah, being yeah, able yeah, to yeah. hear inside almost your body when you're inside when you when you had your head underneath the water never the world's um 
best swimmer or anything like that but I always love kind of rattling around in the deep end and like kind of like diving down and trying to stay under the water as long as possible just to kind of hear that that yeah it's like this sort of ticking clock of all your inner body and blood and vessels all working around and um, I guess when I'd moved to London I sort of hadn't gone swimming much and everything but my my husband he um, went swimming a lot as a kid and um, it's just something that we kind of did a few times during lockdown and when we could when the pool was open to go up to the local swimming pool and um, he was I would always be in the slow lane and he's 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 over in the fast lane kind of gunning down the gunning down the pool but in a way those swimming poems brought back memories of my childhood but also their reflection of my love for him and and the way that um, you know swimming pools make me think about him and you know I like what you said about those sort of small everyday things and that focus in on them because they can seem mundane and um, domesticity can seem mundane but it's also beautiful yeah as it's also beautiful as well um you know two people kind of when you get into that level of knowing each other for uh, for a longish period of time and um yeah, it's just the, the small little routines and stuff, I think, warrant um, a closer look. I think a poem, the poem I was talking about, that, that best sort of uh, showcased your ability to romanticise the mundane, and rightly so, as we said, was um, we decided to spend a few days at the seaside, that poem. I loved that poem because it, it perfectly captures like this, as you said, this seasoned couple and the stuff they do in wasn't exactly in the poems. It's not extravagant, <laughs> but it is beautiful to read about this just little, just sporadic trip that they went on. I wondered if you could talk a bit about that that poem. That poem was written. We, um, I think, yeah, it was September last year, so summer was almost over, and things had opened up enough that you could go and stay in a hotel and we just decided to hire a car and take off one evening after work Um, and it was I guess as you know it was our first trip out of the house for quite a while Mm. you know out of London and there was kind of an excitement in that Um, and yeah we just had these few really beautiful days staying in this old Victorian um, hotel on the seafront in uh, St Leonard's on Sea and we had this room that overlooked um, the ocean and it was just beautiful and yeah it wasn't we weren't bungee jumping or going nightclubbing or having kind of wild crazy experiences but there were just so many nice little moments about it and you know the, the the town itself was quite empty too um, because obviously things the world was still well yeah. it is still a bit weird but it so it was it felt like that trip was a lot more about us in a way and that's uh, yeah that was that was really nice so I wanted to when I wrote that poem I wanted to res, to reflect the kind of this the, the how big those small moments were and how they were for us and yeah, how, how nice I, it was. I think you captured it perfectly. It was honestly one of my favourite poems reading oh, thank the you. collection. Um, two of my other favourite poems in there are actually two of the smaller ones as well, uh, Belt Loops and Spoon. 
I thought were such intricate poems full of imagery, even though they're these small poems. They're, they remind me, these small poems, you know in The Lion King, when they like turn the wood over and there's all the, the grubs and stuff that you look uh, at, yeah. that sort of poem, the, the less is more. But um, yeah, Spoon, Spoon was great, I think. Oh, thank you. That was definitely um, a poem. You know, I think that poem was written a few years ago. Well, it, it came from a, a time in my life a few years ago where I think I'd had my heart broken. And um, I do remember, at, uh, you know, silly o'clock in the morning, <laughs> being in tears at Finsbury Park Station. Um, but then after a few years, having the kind of hindsight to look yeah. back at it. And yeah. it actually also, you know, you kind of think it was a bit silly, but you also got to respect that that's the way you felt then. And there can be a, you know, there can be a beauty in your sadness as well. But um, yeah, I, d I definitely know what you mean. I, I do love short poems. Mm. I think they're such a, they can be such a punch, which is, which is great. Um, I think something Bone does uh, well as well is there's a quite a variety of, of structures and you, you play around with form quite a lot, don't you, in it? Which is something I'm always scared of doing. Like, you know, I've had a go at, uh, I don't know, like a, a Villanelle or a Sonnet, things like that, but some, some of the, the forms we've got in, in there are, are quite avant-garde in a way, aren't they? When you're writing, I'm thinking like a, like highways, for example, the structure in that. When you write a poem like that, are you someone that writes it with that form in mind, or do you write the poem and then think, actually, this is the sort of form I'm going to lay it out in? I um, I would say I, I generally it generally happens as I'm writing it. Mm. Um, I have had poems which I've written in a form and and decided afterwards actually it's going to work as something else, but most of them they tend to fall into those shapes yeah. as, I'm, as I'm writing. I mean, something like Highways, which is done in the columns, I mean, I obviously wanted it to look quite visual and I wanted it, it it's structured into three columns on each page. And that was to represent, you know, lanes of a highway. Yeah, it's which, perfect for the, for the poem, yeah. Yeah, which reminds me of, you know, the kind of the outer suburbs where I where I grew up with everything is on a, a main road and you do spend a lot of time driving around in cars um, so yeah that's kind of what influenced that but it will generally happen quite organically yeah. just as I'm writing the shape will kind of come out and then I'll edit it but it usually happens at the beginning rather than the end is it the, the, the salmon poem as well that's quite spread out across the page isn't it that was actually a much longer poem yeah. when I started writing it and it was actually, it went off on quite a, a, a tangent. Um, so, and I was reworking it and reworking it and, and not very happy with it. And then I just kind of decided to experiment by putting aside the bits that I wasn't having any luck with and, and just found that um, it worked bringing those two parts together. But I, I, I like that sort of, um, it's as if something like the the rib cage is opening on an on a inhale on an exhale wait on a on an exhale. <laughs> it's that kind of thing of it's drifting apart, something kind yeah. of um, disintegrating or going in different directions. I do like the kind of idea of that. Think of poetry as a visual meaning, a visual medium as well, and how a poem 
looks on a page. Definitely, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, certainly reading it inspired me to try and be a little bit more creative with, with my form as well. So I imagine there'll be lots of people that read it that will feel the same. One of the more uh, powerful poems that I've, I thought I'd get you to talk about as well that I enjoyed was uh, How Hungry Are the Children? Just wondered if you could talk a bit about that poem because I thought that was quite, again, quite, quite visually striking in parts of, of the poem. Yeah, I um, was, uh, the, the poem that, the thing that sparked that poem was um, a writing exercise that I um, did for a course and um, it was about um, a childhood memory uh, relating to food. Mm. And um, I spent a lot of time growing up with my mum's dad who um, lived about an hour away from where, where we lived. And I used to go down uh, on school holidays to stay with him. And it was, it was yeah, they were, they were really good memories. We used to like uh, eat frozen ready meals and watch documentaries in the evenings, yeah. most likely about the war and the Nazis, <laughs> and he'd sit in his um, old um, armchair and, and smoke cigarettes, and um, it was just, um, it was, yeah, it was such a lovely kind of moment because then, you know, he died a, a few years later, and how hungry are the children grew from sort of that experience and, and us being kids and us kind of rifling through his cupboards and then you know thinking of the story of his childhood um, you know his parents both migrated to Australia from um, Manchester around Manchester way and uh, had a really like hard life yeah and um, that sort of that sort of contrasting experience and, and kind of thinking how kind of nice it was that we did you know two people from these very different backgrounds and experiences had this sort of time spent together yeah um during those those times in the school holidays so it really started from thinking uh, about that and also you know I was always a hungry child yeah I could never um I think they had, used to have to hide things from the pantry from me because I just I had this appetite that would never never be. Um, oh, my mum still does. If I go <laughs> if I go home, stuff's hidden. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'll be raiding. Yeah. So I think I kind of looking back into childhood as well because I do feel that that poem is is a lot about childhood. Um, it's remembering that feeling of just always been hungry but also that's only one you know one aspect of childhood hunger um you know there, there are kids who don't have enough to eat yeah. there are all sorts of different situations and i just thought i would um try and use some of those experiences and my own experiences to to yeah put that down in the palm i really enjoyed the, the as you said the sort of generational gap as well because I think it made me think of my my granddad. I bring him up a few times on the podcast, but he was like a World War Two baby, so he was a lot older than. Uh, well, he's quite old when he had my my dad, and he grew up, as you say, similar to to the man you're speaking about in this poem, in, in an area where they just had like no food, mm. like abstract poverty compared to today. And it always blows my mind to think that he ended up living in like the noughties and how different his life must have been, to, you know, when he was almost. I'm at Victorian. He would have been closer to the Victorian mm. era than than anyone. 
sort of nine, early 1900s. And yeah, it, it makes me think how much the world has changed in that one man's lifetime. But, but reading that poem made me, made me think about that as well. So I enjoyed that poem. Other poems that I enjoyed, Heatwave, I think, again, was a really good example of you and um, sort of these observational skills you've got and, and romanticising, again, the mundane, because it, it, just the stillness in that poem of, of the room, I felt you, you captured. When there is a heatwave, it, it quite literally feels like time has, has stood still and you focus in on the moth and stuff, don't you? So I think that was a great poem. And uh, Swimmer's Shoulders is the other one I've written down. Yeah. I really enjoyed the, the imagery in that and sort of thinking about the future and, and the relationship, I guess. But yeah, really enjoyed it as a collection. Thank you very much. When did it come out officially? July the 15th. July the 15th. July so, the 15th, so it's yeah. Still a, still a baby. It's still a, <laughs> yeah. still a baby. It hasn't quite learned to walk yet. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. How long did it take you to put it together? I, I started writing a lot of the poems towards the end of last year. So November, December. And really kind of knuckled down in January and that's when I, I'd sort of sent it out to a few small presses and Sam from Hellas Press got in touch and from the get-go I mean he was so passionate about it which yeah. is really um, it's what you want yeah it was really it was really really nice um, and he obviously um, really worked quite hard with me um, on it and wanted it to be the best collection that you know I thought it could be so we just went through a lot of why well, went through a lot of redrafting and redrafting and kind of getting the proof and going through yeah. it and redrafting again um, so I you know all credit to him he had a lot of patience <laughs> for, for me kind of sending back another manuscript with the oh there's only a few more there's only a few <laughs> little notes on this one but I think in the end it was worth it because um, you know, I think it is the best collection that I think it, it could, it could, it's the best version of the collection that I think it could be. And I think that it's great to have a publisher who will give you that, that time to, yeah. to do that. Um, and yeah, I think it's just small presses in a way they don't get a, enough credit because they are, you know, sometimes one, two, Five person bands, yeah. and it's um, and a lot of times they are, are working several different other jobs at the same uh, the same time, and there's not a lot of money in it. But um, you know, people like Sam from Hallis Press, you know, they they obviously do it because they they do have a passion for it, and I'm just glad he saw something like that in in my work. Hundred percent, yeah. They're, they're definitely the backbone of of the poetry world these days, aren't yeah. they? and it'd be a totally different scene without them. So, yeah. Leads me nicely on to, not quick fire questions, but I always talk about the writing process towards the end, and you talk about redrafts there. And one of the questions I like to ask is, when you've written a poem, and maybe you've put it away for a bit, and you're gonna take it back out for the editing stage, what is the first thing you would do as part of your editing process to the poem? Um, I think, if it was a poem that I hadn't read um, for a little while, I usually would print it out, which is terrible because I hate wasting paper. <laughs> but for me, I really have to—I have to see it. I have to see it on a page in front of me, yeah. and I have to be able to write on it mm -hmm. in a way. It's just not something that I've yet to discover 
how to be able to jury, do into words. So if I am picking up some poems I haven't read before, I'll, I'll print them out, I'll make loads of notes, I'll, I'll kind of lay them all out around the, the, the floor of the attic and kind of see if they work into some sort of collection. But um, yeah, I mean, I will, I will redraft and redraft and redraft until the apocalypse um, comes. <laughs> yeah. I'm really bad at that. So there is, you know, sometimes you have to know when to stop. <laughs> so that's going to make my next question interesting yeah. because my next question was, when is it time to walk away from a poem? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think you know when you know. Mm -hmm. I've definitely had poems that um, I've thought were ready after maybe sort of a month or so of kind of not, you know, continually every day, work, you know, working on them, but sort of working on them fairly constantly during that period. And then I've either sent them off or I've let, let it sort of um, lie for a while and then I've come back another month month later and and, and I've said, oh wait, you know, I've found places where I could make changes. And I put a lot of that down to is that, you know, in a, in a whole month you can have, uh, you can have different experiences in your life. Yeah. You can read books, which will um, flavor your writing. I mean, I did a workshop the other day and the, the person who took it said that, you know, 90% of poetry is walking around and reading which I really like and so it does take me a while of going through that process because I will always generally pick up a poem I've written ages ago and, and, and find changes but I think yeah at some point you just do have to say this is the best version of the poem and I I can happily stand yeah. kind of uh, behind it a bit of a gut a feeling as well then when, you, when yeah. you're reading it back yeah mm. last question probably the broadest question I'm going to ask you and I'm going to put you on the spot so um, <laughs> we're sat here in South Bank above the the skateboards and we're talking about poetry this this old archaic form of literature but it's still massively relevant in 2021 lots of people still into it as we said lots of small publishers out there doing it for peanuts at the end of the day so there's still this massive draw to poetry in your opinion why do you think people are still turning to poetry nowadays I think because it's a way to unpack yourself. Mm. It's a, a a way to unpack your life experiences um, and memories and feelings and, and everyday things that you see. Um, I think the variety of form in the way that you can write poetry is appealing. Um, I mean, I think obviously I love reading books and novels and prose. And I think there's some really inventive stuff people have done with sort of surreal and uh, surrealism in, in novels and different ways of writing. But I think when it comes to poetry, there are just so many expressions of it. I think that for everybody, you know, there's a there's a form of poetry yeah. that that they can enjoy or, or write. Um, it's just such a dynamic. Thing. and I think it's just yeah such a nice way of being able to unpack the suitcase of your head some of your head sometime and um, but yeah it's just it is yeah it's just so it's so great and it's so astounding how popular poetry is yeah in the UK it's just um, 
yeah, it's just really, really good. Is there a big like spoken word scene in Australia? Yes, I think my experience of it is probably um, a bit more limited mm. and a bit dated because I haven't I haven't lived in Australia for a while. So if people want to check out Bone, follow your work, where can they find you on socials? Um, at the Attic Poet on Instagram. Yeah, and. That's about it at the moment. Um, obviously, head over to Hellas Press if you want to have a look at the, the book. That's www.hellas.co.uk. Um, but yeah, I tend to, to keep life simple with the, the Instagram. And it's definitely the way forward. Just yeah. keeping it on one, I think. Yeah, I'm murder at updating any of them, let alone multiple of them. No, so. I think I'd, I'd be a bit overwhelmed if I had Twitter and Facebook, if I had a whole suite of things to update every day 100% well thank you Steph I've been it's been lovely chatting to you about Bone I'm glad I caught you before you went to Melbourne um, I'll speak to you soon thank you thank you for having me and for our feature recital Steph kindly sent us her poem Jeanne Juk Beach I hope I've pronounced that right but it's been put to some wonderful musical soundscape by her friend Leo Martin so thank you for letting us use this enjoy Backdrop of sand and scrub, screaming violence into the wind. My sister, egg round belly, sun blotched arms broke through her green swimming costume. Pink shells painted on it that from out here in the surf catch the light but do not dim the rage on her face as she pulls me back the shore. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram 
at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, JBO, that's JBO Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's People's Poetry Podcast at hotmail.com. 